Ronananian. I had a misfire so bad that I was afraid to run the car long enough to let it warm up. She was a princess, queen of the highway. Sign on the road said, take us to Madre. No one could save her, save the blind tiger. He was a monster, black dressed in leather. She was a princess, queen of the highway. The car doctor. I know when you're gone, your kids are going to look at it and go, what do you want to do with Pop's old car? I don't know. It's junk. Let's just throw it away. And how much of a collectible is it then? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. The car doctor here at 855-560-9900. I should point out that, well, maybe that's the phone number, 855-560-9900. Our guys over at eVoice decided this afternoon that they were going to do a a website upgrade, and uh, my chief engineer, Tom Ray, probably lost his voice yelling at them trying to explain that we're about to do a national radio show, and they decided to, well, we'll just do it without giving anybody any notice, any justification, any proof, any, you know, hey, this is what's going to happen, and just cut everybody off right in midstream. So 855-560-9900 should work if you want to talk to the car doctor and get up here on air and help. let me help you solve your problem. I should point out that um, I'm glad to be here this week. I I really am. It's um and you're going to know why in about 2 seconds. Uh last Friday, a week ago Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, and I didn't say anything about it on last week's show because I wasn't sure what was going on. Um you see, I was always taught that in the words of Ethel Merman, the show must go on. And um you you don't stop. You just keep going. Friday after Thanksgiving, I was working in the shop and I was under a car and backing up walking away. I backed my head right into the corner of the lift and took myself out. I was on the ground. Oh, you know, eight seconds, ten seconds. I woke up. Danny was almost standing over me doing the three, four, five, you're out um, routine. And, um, you know, I was okay, but just kind of shook up. And I took it easy the rest of the day and finished all my cars and went home and had to do the show Saturday. I knew you guys were counting on me. I couldn't not do it. And Sunday... As um, I was sitting there having Sunday dinner with the Anian family, my uh, daughter, the emergency room nurse, looked at me and she said, you don't look right. What's going on? And I said, well, and I told her the story and um, I got a good scolding. So for all of you that want to yell at me, you can't because uh, I already got mine. And um, she dragged me down to the emergency room at St. Joe's in Patterson, New Jersey. And um, they gave me the full physical and the full makeup. And, you know, I got a mild concussion. They kept me overnight for observation. And um, I was back at work on Tuesday fixing cars because i um, got to fix cars. But uh, I just want to say thank you for, um, you know, I'm glad to be here is what I'm trying to tell you. It uh, It's really just that important. Um, I really enjoy doing this. And, uh, you know, I wasn't ready for it to be taken away yet as I lay there in the hospital bed in the emergency room listening to everything going on around me and thinking, gee, doing radio is a sure a whole lot more fun than this. 
So um, I'm just glad to be here. I really do. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Let's open up the garage doors right away this hour. Harry, who do you have for me on uh, line one? Let's get this show started. I'll do a monologue later. What do you got? Yeah, okay. Hey, Ron, uh, our first caller is Richard in Appleton, Wisconsin. He's got a 2006 Chrysler Pacifica, and uh, it shuts off, and... The dealer can't find out what's wrong with it. Well, there's a surprise. By the way, I should point out, you're looking uh, kind of svelte today. What's going on there? Well, I tell you, uh, since I have that lady love in my life, yeah, I hit the gym for the first time in a few years today. Did a little workout. I noticed you didn't Never. have any. I noticed you didn't have any crumb cake today. No crumb cake. No chips. No nothing. What's happening to our fast Harry? Uh, I'm getting svelte. You're getting svelte. That's right. Uh, well, I'm going to get over to the phones. Let me I got to do... keep up with the marathon runner. You got to keep up with the marathon runner. Well, That's I'll right. tell you what. I'll see you next week at the gym as soon as I get uh, my head screwed on. Um, I'll be there with you too, brother. Let's get over to the phone and talk to Richard Appleton, Wisconsin. Richard, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, I'm glad to hear you're back and okay. That's That's number one. Yes, sir. Thank you. I have uh, my daughter's vehicle is what this is. It's a 2006 Chrysler Pacifica. It stalls once in a while when she's taking a left turn. Okay. It's got a history. Uh, back in 2014, it did a system update, a new battery in December. Uh, September 2015, a new alternator. Okay. October, new catalytic converter. Right. 28th of October, again, a left turn, lost power, another new battery. Is this... Is this November, r- another new alternator. Richard, when, when, when and you... And now s- they said it might be something with the fuel, so she took it into the dealer, and they can't find anything wrong with it. All right, well, hang on a second. When you say it loses power, is it that it cuts off like she turned off? It stops. Yep. Okay. Like you shut it off. All right. And when you're sitting there with the car shut off, any dash lights on, or it's just dead? I knew you'd ask that, and I wasn't in there when it happened, so I can't answer that. Now, some of the times it wouldn't restart, but obviously some of the times it has. Okay, when it doesn't restart, does it crank? Does it have dash lights? Does it make any noises, or is it just turn the key and it's dead? She said it was dead, dead. Dead, dead. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Um, Diagnostic routines are, are critical to the life and survival of a mechanic. And one no of the, codes this time. Yeah, and you're not gonna. I'm not gonna ask for codes because I don't think you're gonna find them. Uh, okay. One of one of the most critical steps in my diagnostic routine, the first step on every diagnosis, and I don't emphasize it enough. First thing I look at is the battery connections. Are they tight? They replaced one cable too, I think. Well, and I don't care what they did; they do it right. And and my well, that's my, a good question. Well, and that's you know it's I, I got to tell you. You'd be surprised. I bet you 50, 60% of the time, the hard problems are solved by something stupid, something simple that somebody yeah. didn't look at. And, I, you know, I could sit here and I could talk to you about on this particular car in Pacifica's, um, we see an awful lot of uh, uh, crank sensors. We see issues with map sensors. We see issues with accelerator pedal position sensors, all those, all sorts of things. But before we go down that road of, of deep diagnostics, how good is the battery terminal connections? How clean are they? Did anybody voltage mm-hmm. drop? And when I say voltage drop, did anybody reference the ground side from the... You know, everybody thinks positive side. They always worry about the positive cable, the positive connections. Did anybody think to voltage drop the negative side battery cable from battery to ground to chassis? And all of that is really critical. 
and it's it's probably one of the more overlooked things, especially on a ten year old vehicle. So you know the fact that when this died, as you said, it had no dash lights, nothing. Correct. That's be, what she told me that when right. it was dead. Dead. Now when it restarted the last time, I'm I I don't know. I'll have to ask her okay. that. Okay. You know, and then then we can start to talk about. When we start to talk about cars that are dead, dead, we're looking at batteries, we're looking at cables, we're looking at connections, we're thinking about ignition switches. And, you know, do well, we that's have... that's what I was kind of wondering. Yeah. It has a lot of keys on that. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Um, it, you know, ask her to, ask her to just for, for giggles. Uh, and it doesn't sound like this is easily reproduced. How fast can she reproduce this? She can't. Right. It just out of the blue. Okay. Ask her to start driving around with one key on the ring. See if that makes it go that's away. That's what I was going to tell her. Yeah. See if that's going to make it go away. Listen, there's there's a I, bunch there's a bunch of things you can attack here, but until we come up with some kind of cause and effect, here's what happens and here's the end result. You know, one of the other questions I've got mm-hmm. is when the power comes back on, does she have a clock? Is the clock have to be reset? Does the radio have to be reset? All right. And now on that mm-hmm. car, it may be that if you disconnect the battery, it doesn't lose the presets. But if when you disconnect the battery, it loses the presets. If when this problem happens and she loses the presets, we know we're losing a main power input somewhere. So we've got to kind okay. of we got to kind of establish the ground rules and come up with a baseline. A crank sensor won't cause the dash lights to stay out. When you turn that key on. You're still going to have dash lights if a crank sensor is bad. You're still going to have dash lights if an accelerator pedal position sensor is bad. You're still going to have dash lights if a map sensor is bad. So the fact that if the dash lights are out, if this car is dead like the battery was out of the car and, you know, done, Mm -hmm. now we're looking at a main power input, a main power connection of some sort as the potential cause. That's where I'd be chasing. Okay. All right. But I would definitely get all that. I'm old school, more like... I'm closer to your age, so some of this newer electronic stuff that's way beyond me. Yeah, I would I would definitely get the weight off the key ring. I had a and we're gonna talk about it a little bit later on this hour or next. I had an O seven Trailblazer in the shop this week with an ignition switch problem and it's actually worn out the lock cylinder and the housing that the the plastic switch slides in from underneath and then it's an aluminum housing with a gear set. And mm-hmm. I I weighed the keys, not the key. But everything else that's on it, there's a half a pound of junk on this key ring. That's that's a I lot of weight. She's got that. Yeah, that's a lot of yep. weight, and it just and you could see all the slop in the in the cylinder. And I got it to work. It's it's usable now, but I'm going to have to put a whole upper lock set and cylinder in it and spend more money just because we've got this gaggle of stuff, which we don't really need. So, but uh, that's how I would approach that, Richard. All right, sir. Thank you. You're very welcome. Let us know what happens. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7, sometimes phone number. Um, we're not sure. I think it's working today. That uh, if someone gives us a call, we'll find out. And uh, let's just see if they can leave a message. If not, but that's uh, the number that's supposed to work, they tell me, if uh, eVoice is done upgrading their website. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Anyway, I'm Ron Anini and The Car Doctor. We're going to pull over and take a pause. I'll be back right after this.
comes this time each year. Welcome back. Ron and Indy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900, the Car Doctor's 24-7 number. If it's working, thanks to the boys over at eVoice, you can leave a message if we're not on the air, and uh, we'll call you back. Now, uh, stay tuned, too, because if the boys at eVoice don't get this right, we're going to be changing that 800 number because um, just some kind of a nonsense corporation. I'm not really sure, and uh, we're not going to get into it today's show. What I do want to get into on today's show, though, is this is that holiday time of year, and this is that segment where I always like to try and help you out if you're trying to find some holiday gift for that car enthusiast or that person in your life and you're sort of looking for a direction. So I've compiled a little list, and uh, we'll do this in no particular order of preference. I like all these products. Uh, These are based on some of your phone calls this year and some of the things you've been asking us and uh, just some gentle reminders on if you're stuck for holiday gifts, and these range from not so expensive to, okay, a little over the top. Turtle wax. What's wrong with giving your favorite car enthusiast? Yeah, I know. I heard everybody in the room groan. Oh, no, I'm going to get a bottle of car wax for Christmas. Well, in all honesty, there's a couple of reasons here. You know, Turtle Wax is great stuff. Obviously, uh, they were one of the early wax companies, and they've been around forever. Everybody knows the name. Everybody remembers the commercials from way back when, and um, they've grown with the times. They've got some great products. They've got a quick and easy exterior cleaner they've got a quick and easy wax product they've got all sorts of things at turtlewax.com but the point is if you want to take care of your car if you want to teach your kids to take care of their car turtle wax there's no better place to start and teach them about detailing and cleaning and waxing with winter coming in so many parts of the country you know what even though wax is sometimes a spring thing it's also a let's protect the exterior of the car if it's going to sit outside thing. So getting a coat of turtle wax on it right now would be a great idea to help enhance the value of the car and take care of it. Plus, it makes a nice holiday gift, and you can do some nice wax products and wax cleaning kits for you know under 100 bucks, under 50 bucks, whatever your heart desires. Carbon cleaning. We thought about this. We said, you know, what else can we get somebody for the, Christ- for the holidays, for Christmas, whatever it is they're going to celebrate out there, and uh, what's different? How about a carbon cleaning? There's a company out there called BG Fuel Air Induction Service, or actually BG Products, and they've got a website, bgfindashop.com. Now, BG Products um, do a variety of things. They've got fuel air induction cleaning. They've got diesel service. They've got power steering flushes. They've got all sorts of fluid cleaning, fluid handling uh, type of maintenance for your vehicle. You can go to bgfindashop.com. In other words, a repair shop in your neighborhood that utilizes the BG product of a family of cleaning materials for the automobile, maintenance, fuel injection, cleaning, trans service, etc. Buy a gift certificate to that repair shop, $50, $100, whatever service you want to buy. Or just say, hey, I want to buy my dad a carbon cleaning for his 2010 Chevy pickup. And, you know, give it that to dad as a stocking stuffer, as a gift on uh, on Christmas morning, if that's what you're into. And you can read also all about, and they've got a very nice website, BG Find a Shop, some nice pictures of, of valves and valved carbon deposits and things like that, and the value that um, carbon cleaning does. So bgfindashop.com if you're looking to do that. Remington Industries, remingtonind.com, makes some of the best floor mats on the market. Again, we're into winter. Winter's coming. And their line of edge liner floor mats set the market on on edge, no pun intended, uh, about a year or so ago. And um, just a really great custom engineered to fit the vehicle type of floor mat. Uh, No junk, 
They're available. You can find more information about them at remingtonind.com. Talks all about their edge liner. Talks about some changes they've made in production and how they've improved the plant and uh, some of the things they're doing in terms of design. And there are other products besides floor mats, but Remington makes a very, very good floor mat. And um, they kind of don't get a lot of press because they're so busy making floor mats and some of their other products that uh, you don't hear about their name as a front line like some of the other companies out there. But take it from me, very good product, RemingtonIND.com for uh, a great set of floor mats for that special someone in your life. Again, I get it. Car enthusiast, maybe, maybe not. You know what? Maybe mom wants a nice set of floor mats. They also have, for the moms in the back of the cars, the back of the soccer moms, they have the um, small compartment satchels. If, uh, you know, mom wants to carry uh, things for the dog or for a baby in the back, um, you know, with the stroller, they have those type of compartmental holders for the back area of an SUV. So Remington IND has all of that. All data. Why not all data? All data, we talk about them all the time with their subscription service in terms of the professional repair shop, but all data also has subscription service for DIYers, for the do-it-yourselfers. And we've talked to them from time to time. We're going to try and get them on the air again this year before the year runs out just to see what's new. But all data, you can go down and let's say you own a 2010 Chevrolet Chevy Avalanche. You can get factory information from all data, a one-year subscription, and anywhere from 35 to $50 a year, I believe it is. So you can give somebody, you know, repair information on how to fix their car and bulletins and all the rest of the good stuff that the professional sees across the board on all the cars. And uh, you can do it through all data. Just go Google search all data DIY, and I'll bring you to the website, and uh, you can see what's there. Launch. What would a car doctor Christmas list of holiday gift ideas be without talking about launching their family of scan tools? Because I think what kind of scan tool can I get is the number one question that everyone presents to us. And right now, as we've said before, none better than the Launch CRP 229. In the budget, little high end maybe, four to $600, depending upon where you get it from, uh, are some of the you know street numbers that we're seeing. We've seen it a little cheaper elsewhere, but you can expect to pay somewhere around four to 600. Uh, great scan tool, have one in the shop. Updates like magic, works really well. The Launch CRP 229. You can find more information at launchtechusa.com. I'm running Annie in the car, Doctor. That's it for this year's Christmas list, although I'm sure there'll be another one coming up shortly. We'll return right after this. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. Running Annie in the car, Doctor, here at 855 560 Nine nine zero zero. Let's scoot on over and talk to Bobby in Virginia, ninety three Nissan Sentra, and some problems with uh, the way it runs and air conditioning. Bobby, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. What's going on? Yeah, my little Nissan's got about four little issues that may be uh, related. Go ahead. First thing is it don't idle at a steady RPM. Okay. The RPM go up and down. Right. Up and down. I'm gonna say fifty to hundred RPMs. You know. Like that, right? Poor gas mileage. I found getting about eighteen, and um, the during the summertime, the AC clutch on the compressor won't stay engaged. It kicks off, and then kicks on randomly. And the best I can tell is losing power going to the AC clutch. 
Okay. And when the AC is on and the cruise control is on, when I go up a steep incline, the cruise control kicks off. If the AC is not on, the cruise control stays on. All right, let's, let's do them one at a time. Where I would tell you to start with this, and I remember this from way back when. There's a bulletin out there. Um, let me think. 95, 96. 96, 96-032. It's probably a 20-year-old bulletin, and it talks about um, engine idle strategy, timing, and startability. Does it give you any? Does it give you a problem starting two at times, Bobby, or does it start okay every time? Yes, once in a while. Yeah, okay. All right, get your hands on that bulletin, NTB 96-032, and it talks a little bit about this. And the gist of it's going to be, that bulletin's sort of the tip of the iceberg, but there was also, and it's probably carbon on the idle air control valve, which was very common. And then there is there was a sub-harness, which probably isn't available anymore, that had a condenser in it. Because what would happen is, the idle air control valve would start to cycle so badly, it would affect AC clutch operation. It would change voltage on the line, and they used a capacitor to control voltage feedback to prevent the uh, clutch from kicking off. Now, the AC clutch is going to kick off on that vehicle normally if the idle is too low or you're at wide open throttle. These were the days of you know trying to get fuel economy and more power back into a car, so we would make you sweat if you put your foot to the floor. Um, you know, this wasn't really high-tech technology back then. We kind of did the best with what we had to work with. But it was not uncommon that these had dirty idle air control motors, and that would explain the stalling and, and the sometimes startability. And that would also affect AC clutch operation. And I wouldn't be surprised, depending upon how dirty that idle air control is or what sort of feedback it's getting, if that was somehow affecting cruise control operation also. Because I remember this... The idle air control valves on those, the original ones, there was something in the way they were constructed that they were feedback issues, and they caused all sorts of electrical gremlins within the vehicle. Makes sense to me. Right. Um, when it doesn't start every once in a while, if you have mine to step on the you know gas pedal just a touch, just crack the plate a little bit, I wonder if it would start, and I bet it does. That's what I have to do. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, so yeah, that's that's where we're going with this. So, but uh, I Excellent. think if you can if you can find that sub harness, which you know, uh, let's see, ninety three, that was more than yesterday. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, so good luck with that. But uh, you know, that'll that'll cover it for you. All right, sir. I'm gonna look it up as soon as we hang up. Okay, you take good care and let us know if we can do anything else for you. Thanks, Ron. You're very Appreciate welcome. Um, yeah, and you know that that kind of brings up the argument about what do you do on an older car. When you've got something that, uh, you know, you need software, it's, it's a computer problem, and they're not keeping parts like that, and, uh, you know, where are we going? And I wonder about that. You know, I was going to start the show, the, the opening monologue this hour. I wanted to talk a little bit about this 07 Trailblazer, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll squeeze it in here if we can. Um, in that, I had an 07 Chevy Trailblazer this week at the shop that has a communication fault code, and it's setting codes that tell me that three of the modules in question here are losing power all at once. And there's nothing common on these three modules except the ignition switch. The ignition switch, it points towards a bad ignition switch, that the switch just intermittently flakes out on one leg, 
and the vehicle won't communicate amongst itself. All the all the modules kind of shut off and just don't work. So bottom line, it comes back to it needs an ignition switch. Replaced it. Put an ignition switch in the car. Now you got to understand this person had about a half a pound of junk on the end of the key ring, and over time the lock cylinder wore out the aluminum housing, and now that it's got a fresh, tight ignition switch in it, the range of motion of the gears that the switch ran against has changed, and it's affecting how it cranks. You can turn it. You actually have to turn it all the way, and I can I can actually put the switch in two positions. I can bring the switch up so it's tight up against the stop, so you've got to turn it hard, or I can set it so that the timing of the gears are you turn it all the way and back off just a touch and the car starts. I can't get that sweet spot in the middle because the drive gear against the driven gear of the ignition switch is so worn that between that and the play in the housing, it just doesn't work. It just You look at technology and all this technology we've got and it still comes down to basic mechanical stuff as far as how a car operates. Let's get over to the phones and let's go talk to Jim Shenandoah. Virginia with a 98 Jeep that won't start. Jim, what can I do for you? Run an in the car doctor at your service. Okay, I got a 98 Jeep Cherokee. Uh, spends half its life on the off-road. And uh, I'm getting all kind of, just throwing all kind of codes. I think it has probably some kind of a grounding issue problem. With okay. What what kind of codes are you getting, Jim? Uh, well, I don't know them offhand, but uh, about the, uh, one of them was about alternator and uh when I turned the, it was running real rough. When I turned the lights on, it smoothed it right out. So I think it's grounded through the uh, through the lights somehow. Um, I wonder what would happen if, when you turn the lights on, if you disconnected the alternator. I'm sorry, if you disconnected the alternator when it's running rough. Let me let me back up again. You're saying it'll start to run rough at random, and if you turn the lights on, it smooths out. Well, no, not right now. It it, it kind of. Uh, it, it it threw a bunch of codes, okay. Right. And it's it's been running rough. Then, so when I start it up, it runs real rough. And uh, and in order to get it up to operating temperature, I just turn the lights on and it smooths it out, and uh, then it can warm up. Okay. So let's talk about critical grounds on a Jeep. All right. The critical grounds on that engine. There should be a ground strap off the driver's side rear corner of the valve cover or the intake area. And that goes to the firewall. Yep, goes to the firewall. Okay. You, you've made sure that's there and it's good, clean, and tight? Uh, it's there. I, I, I'm going to work on it tomorrow. You know, maybe voltage drop against it and just make sure. You know, look to see if there's a star washer underneath the eyelet where the bolt goes through. Star washers are a funny thing. I like them on some things and I don't like them on others because they raise the contact area away and they limit how much metal-to-metal contact you can get in certain applications, so I will use them sparingly. But just, you know, if it's there, make sure it's got some bite and it's digging into the metal. Um, On an older vehicle, on a vehicle that's outside in the weather, there's a product out there called Stabilitant 22. And the neat thing about, or I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong, Stabilant 22. Uh, The neat thing about that is that is a connection enhancer. And what it will do is it will permanently bond the two areas together and help to ensure a good, positive connection. Not just So you're not just relying on the mechanical contact, you're actually enhancing that mechanical contact of the two areas that are put together. It works on connectors, it works on ground straps, it works in the applications you're talking about. For a vehicle that's off-road a lot, it's 
you know, you've got some issues with weatherproofing, but I'm sure there's ways around that too. But that might help and solve some problems that you're having as well. Perhaps some stabilant 22 and then a uh, little shot of dielectric grease around that to help protect it from the weather. There are okay, that, that's different than dielectric grease. Right, it's different than dielectric grease. It's a it's expensive. It's not cheap stuff. We use it um, on some cars, European cars. We use it a lot on with the uh, oxygen sensor connectors because some of the O2 sensor connectors are down real low right. underneath the cars and lots of exposure to the air and the moisture stream as you're traveling down the road, 60, 70 miles an hour in winter weather. And even with weatherproof connectors, we'll take apart O2 sensor harnesses and we'll find damage on older vehicles. You know, as cars get older, the weather seals start to dry out and things start to seep in and get to where they're not supposed to be. So it it, it, it is a performance enhancer, uh, to say it that way. But I would go over all the grounds. There's a, a ground coming off the negative battery post. There should be. Uh, there, the battery cable, if I remember right, splits. One end goes to the block. The other end goes to the fender well, which is chassis ground. Obviously, correct. Obviously, make sure that's good, clean, and tight. I'd be curious if the alternator has a bad diode or a diode issue. And I'd wonder if, when the engine's running rough, if I were to just, if you were to just unplug the uh, alternator gently, uh, I don't know if I would take the heavy battery lug off, but I would just disable the, um, I think there's a two-wire connector or a three-wire connector at the back of the alternator. If that, uh, mm-hmm. if that just became disconnected, the alternator stopped charging, I wonder if the problem went away. All right, well, we'll try that as a last resort. You know, um, if you have a lab scope, and I realize what I'm asking, but I would look at that in the shop with a lab scope to see if there's any AC AC leakage on the diode pattern, and um, that's another thing that I would look at as well. All right, so try those things. Give me a call back next week. i got to pull over and take a pause. Tony's jumping up and down. The clock's running late this segment, so uh, we'll do it that way and talk again next week if we have to. I'm Ron Annie in the Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Car doctor, I'm back, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's keep it going this hour. So, I want to shoot a quick piece of email here, and um, it's a good segment. It's a good spot to do that. Ron, I've been listening to you every week to your show since it started. Really, 25 years ago? Well, I get it. This is from Lewis, and uh, let's see, he's got to be in New Jersey somewhere. Nine seven three area code. Thanks for all the invite, insights, and entertainment. I didn't think I was entertaining. My kids don't think I'm funny. Well, I think the older I get, the more they think I'm funny, but that's another story. I've been waiting for you to bring up one topic, and so far you've not. I have a Subaru 2014 Forester. It has a CVT transmission. The dealer says a 100,000-mile service, and it's expensive. What's your opinion? I'll be listening for your answer. Should I do it sooner? I have heavy-duty usage. Thanks again for all the years. Sincerely, Lou. Thanks, Lou. I uh, appreciate you coming to me from the heart like that, and uh, I appreciate you being there and counting you among the car doctor nation. Subaru CVT Transfluid, and I think this is true on all CVTs um, when I say this, that this is a funny animal. They don't like to service this, and I don't know why. And uh, the, the manufacturer's perspective across the board, and Subaru seems to lead the pack, is it never breaks. But if you were to look up, and I did a little research on this just so I knew from what I spoke, if you were to look up the conditions to replace the transfluid on a CVT Subaru, it's like this. You would check fluid condition, all right? And it says um, fluid condition, metal particles, excessive wear, 
of the internal of the transmission body, replace CVT fluid. If the fluid is thick and varnished, means burnt clutches, replace the CVT fluid and check the trans to see if it's operating correctly. If the CVT fluid is cloudy or has bubbles in it, it's water mixed in the fluid, change the CVT fluid. The only time they want you to change the trans fluid, in their opinion, less than 100,000 miles, is when something is broken. But if you notice, a lot of what they're saying is, after something blew up, burnt up, or got contaminated, change the fluid. Other than that, they just want you to drive it until it breaks or until it gets to 100,000 miles. I agree with you, Lewis, because I think between the lines, what you're really saying to me is, is that right? Look, manufacturers don't sell service. Manufacturers sell cars, and that's what it's all about. And in the game and age of we get it to 100,000 miles, you change the trans fluid at 120. If you didn't do it right or if you didn't do it at all and it needs a trans, you buy a new car. Hey, the manufacturer is happy. I'm one for maintenance. I think everybody knows that. You know, we get rid of a car on our terms, not on the car's terms. And it doesn't matter if the fluid is expensive or the service is expensive. That's the manufacturer's fault. But the fact of the matter is that I don't think there's any car out there that would not benefit from a fluid change, whether it be trans or engine oil or coolant on a regular basis. Because when you look at the statistics and when you look at the vehicles that don't go the distance, they're the ones that didn't have maintenance. Bottom line, yeah, CVT fluid, there's an index method using a factory scan tool that you have to check the quality of the trans fluid other than physically looking at it. But if it were me, dang the expense, I would be changing that fluid around the 80,000-mile mark, if not a little sooner, depending upon condition, because I don't want to wait for it to be burnt and used up, because then I need a transmission, and that's a horse of another color. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Running in the car. Thanks, Tony. Tony turned on my microphone. Look at that. Good job. Oh, I tell you what, uh, it's a rough day here at the car doctor. Um, quick piece of email. Ron, I wanted to run some questions by you. I love the email questions. I really do. I think I like them as much as the phone call. Sometimes I like them a little bit more. Um, and here's one that's really well written, so this will be uh, good to answer. I want to throw in some quick questions by you as I've never had access to a resource such as you and I'm about ready to purchase a car as my lease is ending in February. For years, I've admired, I admired the Audi A3. Uh-oh. And now there is a used 2011 Audi A3 6-speed manual for sale with 45,500 miles. And I'm wondering if this could be a worthwhile purchase for someone like me. I plan on having this dream car of mine for years. Uh-oh. Various review websites claim this year is very reliable. Yeah, but reliable compared to what? Reliable compared to other Audis? That means that you only have to push it down the road half as much as the previous models. As I really can't afford any repairs while I'm paying it off, the warranty is done. I assume this car will require a special mechanic. Absolutely. Blonde hair, blue eyes, speaks German. To service it, meaning dollars. You got that right. The owner selling the vehicle has been very forthright about its history and records and even paying for the Carfax report so that it's all left is me going see it and bringing some with me to take a look. Also, judging by the mileage, the owner babied the car, and he said it was not his daily driver. Let me know your thoughts, Katie. <sighs> Katie, do you know what Audi stands for? Now, you have to own one 
to understand this. And this usually strikes a nerve for the people that have owned more than one as they've owned them longer and longer. Audi stands for another underpowered demonic invention. At 45,000 miles, you're probably in good shape. The question is, what will it need at 60,000 miles? You've got to look at a 60,000-mile service. Don't go by what the websites say. Go by what that vehicle will need at the 60, at the 75,000-mile service. Go talk to that special mechanic. Ask them. That's real world. Say, hey, listen, this particular car, what do you do at these various mileages, and what does it cost? And that's how you know if you can really and truly afford that car. I'm running and eating the car, doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.